The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Vandenberg scrambling, buying time, buying some more. Throws it down the sideline. Jump ball for Davis. Intercepted. Picked off at about the 23-yard line. Andrew Green. It's his first interception of the season, only the sixth thrown this year by Vandenberg. And obviously just a terrible decision by Vandenberg. No one to cut your losses, no one to just throw it out of bounds. Nebraska's got it back again. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This podcast features former NFL and Iowa Hawkeyes star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down Iowa's loss at Nebraska. The show also includes a reporter's notebook segment with Susan Dink. And we'll hear from Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz and athletic director Gary Barta, who talk about the Insight Bowl. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs this year, which include regulars Brent Balbinat and Marv Cook, along with Mark Morehouse and Susan Dink. The Iowa-Nebraska game highlights are courtesy of ABC, with announcers Bob Weishuzhen and Bob Davey. Both of these guys are good, and they did a nice job calling a relatively boring game. We very much appreciate it, and thank them. Vandenberg on third and 11 with a flag down. Hits his tight end, and Fedorowicz lost the football at about the 48-yard line. Nebraska's got it. There is a flag down, and this might be offensive pass interference. The result of the play was a catch and a fumble with Nebraska recovering. During the play, we had pass interference on the offense. That is a killer. A killer for Iowa on the turnover as Fedorowicz coughs it up. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and choose not to get sick. Remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly X's and O's stint on Hawkeyes Mike. Marv breaks down Iowa's Heroes game loss at Nebraska. Sean Patchett visits with Marv. First off, your thoughts on the 20-7 loss to Nebraska? Pretty disappointing, to be honest with you. Um, you know, national TV, great, great atmosphere, great challenge, and, and to just go down there and not play well, not execute offensively, was was obviously frustrating. And then to see, you know, Burkhead set a Nebraska record for rushes, and really not, you know, he, he didn't really do anything spectacular, but they controlled the ball, controlled the line of scrimmage, and, and you know, created enough first downs to change field position enough and, and you know when they got up two possessions on us it seemed like they shut things down offensively and kind of knew that they you know defensively couldn't stop them so or would be defensively that they would you know be okay and, and so uh, kind of a frustrating Friday. We know how conservative Iowa plays but I read that against Nebraska as big an underdog as Iowa was uh, they should have played like an underdog and that playing straight up against a heavily favored opponent opponent will lead to a bad loss. What does that mean to you exactly and do you agree? 
No, I agree 100% with that. Is, uh, you know, one, you got to look at it and say, okay, Michigan scored a ton of points on these guys, exposed them. Northwestern scored a ton of points on these guys. So, I mean, you got to get away from thinking Nebraska's King Kong and the world beaters. I mean, and understand that they're talented and they're good, but, but you know, they, they, they got exposed by some teams. And, and, you know, I even thought we did some things effectively offensively. You know, the first half, I think we had four possessions that were inside the 50. Two, we had first down and, and 10 on the 35 or 36, 37 yard line. And we don't get any points in those possessions. And, and um, you know, that's frustrating. And that's something, you, you know, you, you, you have to play to win. You cannot play to keep it close. You cannot play to, and I'm not saying that they don't do that. I'm just saying at some point you've got to calculate and take tactical risk on, you know what, we need points. Uh, you know, instead of punting twice from the 35 or 37, 38 yard line, you know, maybe look at it as two down territory and, and that might change your play selection as you get into, you know, third and seven, third and eight, third and nine. Okay, let's get four or five of this and get it in a fourth and manageable. And uh, unfortunately we didn't and we came out and, you know, it was 10 nothing at halftime. Moving on to the offense or lack thereof, only two drives lasted more than six plays. You know, what's going on? Well, obviously, third down conversions, we were terrible. We were 2 of 12, I think, which is just not good enough, obviously. And, and um, you know, I thought we ran the ball somewhat effectively. I mean, I thought we were doing okay, although Nebraska did create some negative yardage plays for us later in the game. But but I thought we were running the ball somewhat effectively. I thought we were getting really good push inside, and they were kind of just getting us off the edges a little bit. So, uh, And then our passing game was just off a little bit. It looked like, you know, Vandenberg was not quite as accurate as he has been in the past. You know, unfortunately, that just, uh, you know, doesn't make for effective, you know, like I said, I didn't think we were in a lot of third and longs. I know a couple were third and in over 10, but, you know, a lot of those third and six, third and sevens, you get a batted ball, you get a drop ball, uh, you know, you get a ball thrown behind them. Those are, you know, drive killers. And unfortunately, we had too many of them. You stated a couple weeks ago how you'd hate to see what Iowa would be like this year without McNutt. And for the most part, we kind of saw that on Saturday or Friday. Uh, it looked like Nebraska had an effective game plan in terms of taking McNutt out of the game, but it also seemed like it took too long for Iowa to adjust to that. Do you think that's a correct assessment? Well, I think um, they had a, they had a couple, you know, they a couple times they moved him in the slot. They changed where he put his location. We didn't motion him. I don't think to get it, to get jam guys off of him. Uh, maybe they did. I, I didn't see it on the TV, but um, but. Um, you know, I mean, they have some talented corners, cover corners, obviously, and, and that was part of what they were trying to do. And, you know, that's what's frustrating is, is when, you know, when you're drawing that much attention, then somebody else has got to be stepping up and making plays. And, you know, unfortunately, we made a nice conversion of Coker early in the game uh, on, an under, on an under route. But, but, you know, the tight ends, Herman made a play late, you know, Fedorowicz made a play, but just not enough, not enough to, to you know, to be effective offensively. Your thoughts on Vandenberg's performance? You know, he was just off a little bit. You know, I mean, I thought, it, you know, he was, his accuracy wasn't as tight as it has been. You know, a lot of that could be just, you know, the timing of things. They're jamming receivers, and he's not, they're not quite where they he thought they were going to be at the certain time, and so he's throwing the ball behind them or over this, you know, sailing a little bit. But, you know, it's one of those things when you are, if something's not working, you got to find some way. You got to have some other plan B, plan C, plan D on how to be effective offensively and make it work. And, and you know, like I said, I thought our running game was somewhat effective. 
you know, just didn't do enough in all the different areas that, to, to, get, to get points and help us win. My next question kind of goes into that. You know, on TV it looked like the rest of the offense was playing somewhat well. The receivers were getting open. The offensive line was blocking. What can you do maybe from a coaching standpoint when your QB is struggling? Well, I mean, get, get him into, you know, conservative throws. Get him into manageable situations. And, and um, you know, and, and at some point, it's easy to sit here in hindsight and say, but, you know, you get two down territory. You know, you get inside the 35, 38-yard line. Uh, at some point, you got to have play selections. They're going to say, you know what, let's make sure we get into, if worst case scenario, fourth and three, fourth and two, where we can run or pass it, uh, or run boot or waggle and, 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 and make a play and, and, and get the first down. And, and, you know, those little conservative throws, you know, you know five yard throw and catch that they end up running for 20 yards is still a 25 yard completion. So it's not, it doesn't have to be a down the field type throw. And, and you just try to get them in hitches and, and slants and curls and just really, really you know, throws that he's been making since he was in junior high school and, and getting back to kind of the, the comfort level of just, you know, throwing the ball in rhythm and throwing the ball in time. Iowa finally started moving the ball and late in the game they went to hurry up offense. Uh, it seems like we've been here before earlier in the season. Do you think they went to the hurry up too late and why the reluctance to go to that sooner? Well, I think, I think part of it is, is honestly, Nebraska got conservative. Nebraska's defense you know, they had, at one point, they were at, you know, a three-possession lead. It was interesting to me, though, that, you know, the book says if you're up 19, you go for two to try to make it 21. And, and they didn't. They kicked the extra point and went to 20, which tells me I think they thought defensively that... So, I, no, I, I, think, I think wholeheartedly it was is Nebraska's defense got into a more conservative mode. They got into, you know, we'll give them the underneath stuff. And, that, and then, then, you know, what that does for an offense is that now it lets your quarterback get into a rhythm. You know, he's able to throw the ball, complete it, move the chains, and then develop a little rhythm with his receivers uh, and, and some confidence. And then all of a sudden now you get in the red zone and now it's just a matter of making a play. And Brad Herman made a nice catch. Uh, and then obviously Coker ran it in from there. But, but wholeheartedly, I think a lot of that was just the fact that Nebraska was kind of getting into a, you know, let's just not let them score in one play. If we make them use nine or 10 plays off the clock, um, you know, we'll, we'll basically ice the game away. Defensively, real frustrating day. It felt like Iowa's defense was holding them to minimal gains on first and second down. Inevitably, Nebraska would convert the third down. Any explanation for that? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I, I think one of it is, is you got a feature back in Burkhead who did a great job, you know, running between the tackles and getting on the edge every once in a while to toss. But then you had that other guy that came in that then they ran the jet sweep to the outside and he was getting five, six, seven and getting conversions uh, and moving the defense laterally and then open up seams inside. And, and, and I think that combination of having two different backs is a huge benefit for Nebraska and that's the one thing that Iowa is missing right now. I think Martinez was hurt. I don't think he was playing 100%. I think he, his ankle or leg was something was wrong with him because he, he only had four rushes on the day and he normally would have more than that. I think he was banged up and so you know that was an element of their offense that wasn't up and running on Friday and and but you know they still had enough with the other running back to come in there to cause some issues for the Iowa defense and you know we can sit there and say the Iowa defense did yeoman's work but ultimately they you know Burkhead set a record and rushed you know for over three yards of carry and the other guy came in and, and converted on some critical third down plays for first down so um, they did enough running the football and then throwing the football is what 
you know, I think was the hard part is once they were able to run the ball effectively, they had some play actions, they were able to get that that receiver down in the uh, you know the intermediate level for a lot of big catches for them. A staple of Iowa's defense in the past, uh, pretty much this past decade, has been their ability to force turnovers. That was almost non-existent this season. Uh, they forced only 10 in conference play, um, by far their lowest total in five years. What reasons account for this? That's a good question. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know statistics kind of move in the ebbs and flows, and, and what, what is good one year is not the next, and a lot of those is just bounces of the ball and tip passes and things like that. You know, positioning is a lot of it. You know, I mean, we, we've had experienced safeties in the past, and Tanner Miller's had a great year, but, you know, this is his first real experience playing in the safety position versus a guy like Tyler Sash. Uh, you know, so, I mean, just, you know, a lot of times it's being a half a step slow or something, or it's not right in the right position at the right time. And a lot of those, like I said, are just bounces. So, um, you know, you, you work on those things, and, and they come in waves a little bit. And unfortunately, we haven't had as many as we'd like to. You know, the interesting thing that kind of is a mirror of that is, is special teams. We have not had any special teams touchdowns this year. Uh, you know, kick returns, punt returns. And that is such a huge thing when you look at the field position, how much field position changes hands every time you kick or touch the ball. And, and I think we haven't been very effective uh, with our special teams play. I read some interesting analysis on this year's team on the website Blackheart Gold Pants, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. In the losses to Penn State, Minnesota, and Nebraska, Iowa scored 10 or more points less than those teams gave up on average against conference opponents. Now we broke down all those games together, talked about what happened and why, but is there anything we can take away in terms of the big picture? You know, if you ask me, and it's, and it's, a, it's a philosophical approach, you have to be aggressive on offense. That's, that's philosophically my belief. When you're playing great defenses or you're playing good teams, you have to be aggressive on offense. You cannot play conservative offensively against good teams that can score points. Uh, and I think you know, you, you see certain teams like Wisconsin that when they get it down, you know, I mean, the difference between being down 14 and being down nine is huge. I mean, I mean, it may not sound like a lot. Uh, and then ultimately the difference in being down 21 and 17, I mean, that, that's huge. They basically have to score four times to, to beat you at that point. You know, and, and so field goals versus touchdowns, uh, you know, and then if, if you're only down nine or 10, uh, you know, you're still one or two possessions away from being back in the game, where if you're up 21 at half, or 24 at half, now offensively, you almost feel like you have to press. You have to, you know, because you're, you're almost so far out of it, you're only gonna get five or six possessions in the second half, and you basically gotta score, you know, four out of six of them. And so now you have to press those issues, and that can cause turnovers, that can cause other problems, and then things can start snow, snowballing against you. And so it's, I think it's a philosophical thing, and, and when we've had really, really good teams, really good players like Robert Gallery and Steinbach and Bob Sanders and Ed Hinkle and, 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 and guys like that that can make plays and, and dominate a game, you can play more conservative, more, you know, more close to the vest. And, and, and right now we're more evenly matched with a lot of these teams. And, and, and if you keep the games close, like we've talked about this numerous times, there's other teams, other teams have enough players that they can make one play and they beat you. You know, I touched on it a second ago there, you know, it just adds to the frustration of this season. Statistically speaking, this looks like it should have been one of Iowa's better teams historically. 
Uh, Numbers-wise, Vandenberg had one of the better seasons ever for an Iowa quarterback. Uh, same thing with Coker. Uh, he continued to improve throughout the year. And then, of course, McNutt with the best season ever for an Iowa wideout. So even with all that, you know, how do you explain all this inconsistency? Well, I mean, it, and then you go, yeah, you look at the first half of Penn State, you look at the first half of Minnesota, you look at the first half of Nebraska, and you think, you know, we had the leading passer, leading receiver, second leading rusher, or, or you know, close to those, you know, aren't scoring a lot of points, and, and a lot of times we're settling for field goals. Uh, you know, I think what I've seen is when we have a third nine and you run the ball for six yards, I think that's setting up a fourth down, you know, two, two down territory, but yet we line up and kick a field goal. So, but. It is. It's it ha obviously it's been a frustrating season. No, no more frustrating for the coaches and the players uh, to be in that situation. But you know we have no trophy games right now. We have no trophies sitting in in the in the hallway up there in the in the complex, and that's that's amazing that in all those trophy games we haven't we don't have any. It's uh, you know seven and five back to back seasons. You know last year was obviously a disappointment with the personnel we had this year. It feels like a disappointment. Maybe it shouldn't be because we do have, uh, you know, basically a new quarterback starting. But you know, a lot of these guys played last year. James Morris, Tanner Miller played some. You know, Riley Reef, uh, Ferentz, uh, Coker. You know, I mean, uh, so we've had guys that have played a lot of football. McNutt. Uh, you know, so we can't sit there and say we're young. And then, and so what? We're young. I mean, and if you talk about a year that you should make hay, the last two or three years in the Big Ten, a Big Ten's I think is okay, but I don't think. It's not as great as the conference has been the last 15, 20, 25 years, is what I should say. So, you know, we've, we've you know, probably could have made some more hay in, in the Big Ten Conference the last three or four or five years. You know, on that note, what do you think happens if we have another season like this next year? I don't know. You know, I mean, who knows? I, I do think the Big Ten's going to get bigger, better. I mean, Brady Hoke's going to do a good job at Michigan. They're going to get better and better. And Urban Meyer now coming to Ohio State, um, um, you know, that's going to uh, change the, the, the uh, the dynamics of, the, of that program and, and where they are, and I think you're going to see them back on top here again soon as far as performing at an elite level. You know, so I think things are going to get, you know, more and more difficult in the Big Ten going forward. So, you know, who knows what 7-5 and five will do again next year. Blackheart Gold Pants also had a detailed breakdown of Vandenberg's numbers, and you know, when you look at it overall, clearly illustrates that Vandenberg is very good at home against, quote, lesser opponents but he struggles on the road and against quality competition. Why is that? Well, obviously on the road is difficult and playing better talent is difficult. Uh, those things are pretty self-explanatory, but uh, I, I think it's a general general tendency for the team. I don't, I don't necessarily want to put it on Vandenberg because I, you know, I think he's done, you know, I think he's had a great year. I really think he, he's done some good things and, and, and been effective and you know, so I, that's, that's hard for me to, I mean, really, you know, comment on other than obviously it's easy to play at home, it's funner to play at home, and the crowd noise is in your factor versus on the road, and then when you are playing higher quality opponents on the road, it's a little bit more difficult, but uh, the, the five losses have, have been a, a, you know, a cumulative effect of a team effort, not just the quarterback. You know, aside from the rampant drops this year by Iowa receivers, what do you think Vandenberg and the coaching staff will work on the most this offseason and going into next year? Well, just, just continual development of the passing game and the mechanics and the timing of, you know, progressions and, and sequencing. I think, you know, the, the great teams, uh, if you look at an Oregon, you, you watch some of these offenses when they're clicking and they're high energy, a lot of stuff looks a lot alike. 
but ultimately it's completely different. You know, Stanford does a great job of that as well, where you know you're seeing guys running scot free, and, and it's because of it looks like this, and all of a sudden it's not. He's now he's going to the post versus going to the corner. Uh, you know, the safety jumped the other guy who's running the dig, and you know it's wide open. So, just a matter of sequencing, making sure things look. You know, you show a safety a couple looks that, that, that gets him comfortable with that look and all of a sudden now it looks like that but it's not so now someone's over the top of him or someone's down the seam and, and just you know continually develop those things and then just the timing of the throws a lot of times you know the play works against this defense but if you're a quarter of a second late it doesn't work you know and you've got to be you've got to throw the ball at a spot when it needs to be thrown there and, and so just continue to develop with that and the timing with the receivers and then you know, then ultimately, it, we, we, you know, in my opinion, we need to develop a compliment to Coker. I mean, this guy, I mean, this guy's got to feel like a 50-year-old guy. I mean, he, he gets so many carries. He's had the last two years, it's unbelievable how many carries he gets. And, and you can't, in this type of, you know, offense, you're going to get hit every time by three or four guys when you're running inside zone. You know, it's tough to take that beating. And you need a guy, we need another one or two guys to step up and, and be able to take that workload a little bit, even if it's just six, seven, eight, nine carries a game, uh, to just give them a little bit of a rest. Right now, a lot of Iowa fans are probably feeling really disappointed with how the season turned out, maybe thinking about the bowl game. But on a positive note, what are some things fans should be excited about for next year? You know, I think they're good kids. I think they're good student athletes. I think for the most part, they represent the University of Iowa well. We've had some issues in the past, but you know, and, and, they, and they play they play with passion, they play with pride, and, and obviously they play well at, 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 at home for the most part with the exception of Michigan State. So, you know, I'm always excited anytime, you know, you get good student athletes that represent the university well, represent their families and, and the program well and play hard. So, and ultimately we got a lot of those guys back. Coker's back, Dorowitz is back, you know, Derby's back, and, and uh, Vandenberg's back, and, you know, obviously we, we lose McNutt now. You know, Ferentz is back, so we, we got a lot of guys coming back um, uh, to build on, and and they'll be better next year. That's the good thing is they will be better next year. That is good news. That is good news. Now it's first down again, just inside the three-yard line. Then we're going to try every yard line inside the five, one at a time, until they settle on one they like. Coker to the edge, touchdown, Hawkeye. Just under three and a half minutes to go. Iowa gets on the board. Iowa. A little bit of a pulse as they're down two scores, and they'll try an onside kick. The score on just a little outside zone play. Nebraska loses contain the corner. Andrew Green gets caught inside. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for our reporter's notebook with Susan Dank. You can read Susan's articles in the Hawkeye and online at thehawkeye.com. You can also follow Susan on Twitter at Susan Dank. 
Susan and I look back at the Nebraska game. Susan, Iowa at Nebraska, probably one of the more disappointing losses for the Hawkeyes all season. Not so much the loss itself as the really poor performance, especially on offense where they were simply unable to sustain drives pretty much all day, and especially coming off a pretty good road performance against Purdue. Completely shocking the way they came out and just, I don't know if they didn't seem to care or, or what the deal was if they're a hangover from the, the big win at Purdue and finally getting that road victory or what the deal was, but they just came out and they couldn't move the ball. I mean, Vandenberg was having trouble throwing it. McNutt just had all sorts of trouble. Um, you know, Marcus Coker in the first half, at least was a bright spot, but then in the second half, he just couldn't get anything done. Yeah, this game was another example of an Iowa team that's just been way too inconsistent all season long. Looking back, I was, I was actually just looking at the, the schedule before I, I came on with you, and you know, looking back, they had a couple of good wins, but then you go up to Minnesota and you lose. But then you come out against a ranked Michigan team, and you know, this mobile quarterback is someone who they're not supposed to be able to contain, and they did a great job, picked up that victory, and then Michigan State comes Iowa City, you know, that whole loss, but then they go to Purdue and finally pick up a road victory and look very good in doing it, and then go to Nebraska and just didn't show up, and it, and it really was just this up-and-down season that you just didn't know what team was going to show up on the field what week. Three of Iowa's five losses this year were in trophy games, which is kind of odd, and four trophies that the Hawkeyes are involved in, and not a single one in Iowa City now. Not a single one. That's a pretty <laughs> empty football complex right now. You know, knowing this team and knowing Kirk Ferentz, it'll just give a little extra motivation for next year, you know, getting some of those back and, you know, filling that trophy case up again. I don't want to pick on your southeastern Iowa boy, James Vandenberg, too much, but this was an almost an inexplicably bad day for him. He, he had good offensive line pass protection pretty much all day uh, against a, a good Nebraska defense. He often had open receivers, and he just couldn't hit them. Also some pretty poor decision-making at critical times in that game for him. It was just very uncharacteristic for him. He came out and he was throwing high and you know, and throwing long and kind of maybe looked a little pumped up or something and just thought maybe after you know a couple of series he might calm down and it just never seemed to click for him. It never really seemed to click for any of the offense and obviously that starts with him but at 16 to 35, 182 yards, that was just, and, and no one had any explanation for it afterwards. You know, he said he wasn't too pumped up and, and he was ready to go, but it just didn't look like it. Yeah, you know, it's really an interesting phenomenon this season. This was another example of his inconsistency, and you can almost tell exactly what kind of day he's going to have based on the accuracy of, if not his first pass, his first two. I mean, every game where he's been on, his first pass is right on the money. Every game where he's been off is first pass or second at most is it's not just off it's like way off and that Saturday it was kind of way off again right from the outset right right and, and maybe that kind of gets in his head a little bit you know even if he doesn't realize it or, or won't admit it maybe you know those first couple of passes the first couple of series if he isn't right on then maybe it does kind of get to him and he says well you know or maybe he tries too hard then and just can't get things on when he plays well he's really good he moves well his passes are on target you know he throws him on a string but are, are you surprised in terms of this kind of inconsistency which I guess reflects the whole team we've already talked about it but that he hasn't developed maybe a bit more having an entire season under his belt at this point I think so I mean especially looking at some of the earlier games when he had really strong outings you know especially maybe looking at that Pittsburgh game where he you know engineered that huge comeback win you know you, you did think back then that okay this is a, a really talented player who you know just given the more games and the more experience he has on the field he looks and it keeps getting better but then some of these last games this season, he just kind of seems to regress. Ferentz 
has been historically loyal almost to a fault, staying with his starting quarterbacks year to year. And it'll be interesting to see. They've got Jake Rudock, who was a high school phenom. It'll be interesting to watch how that unfolds next season because I don't think you can afford to have a starting quarterback who has that much inconsistency game to game. No, I, I agree with you there. But you know, it's also going into next season, you will have a starting quarterback who has experience instead of throwing somebody out there who doesn't. I guess it just kind of depends on what they do during the offseason, especially for this bowl prep. You know, the, the younger guys get to work a lot more, you know, and, and maybe he develops and then going into, you know, the summer and then into uh, spring ball. If he continues that development, he may just give James a run for his money next year and, you know, maybe he can go out there and be a bit more consistent than James has been. You have to credit Nebraska's defensive game plan, especially its focus on taking Marvin McNutt out of the game. Their cornerback on that side, Denard, is just a terrific player, but it's also surprising to me that Iowa, and especially O'Keefe in the game planning during the game and over the halftime, really seem to fail to make any adjustments to try to open McNutt or the other receivers for that matter, open them up a bit more. Yeah, it was surprising. Um, you know, they do have that good receiving core. You know, you have Keenan out there. You know, you had a couple of other guys who had made passes and you had those tight ends. And, and I don't know if it's James who gets locked on Marvin because he knows that Marvin makes those plays and, you know, when in doubt, throw it to Marvin and he'll somehow get it done. Or if it was that offensive game plan that he just, you know, didn't have those other people to throw to. But, you know, really getting those tight ends involved, I think, was big. And, and Iowa really didn't do that throughout the entire season. Yeah, they, the offense just couldn't sustain any drives. In the game plan, there were some odd, first of all, it was extremely conservative pretty much the whole day. But And then they didn't go into a no-huddle offense until, you know, halfway through the fourth quarter, which was also a bit surprising. But there were some odd calls that took them out of drives, like that one uh, reverse end around to McNutt that Nebraska had seen on film, you know, several times this year, and just some other calls that didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me, at least. Right, and that seems to be Iowa thinking this is their, you know, exotic play calling that end around. Um, you know, the first couple times, yeah, it might work, but then people see it on tape and it's not going to work. But that just seems to be how Iowa goes, you know, give the ball to Coker, give the ball to Coker, give the ball to Coker, and that just wasn't working out. And then James couldn't find any receivers, and they just didn't seem to come up with anything that, that might help out that team. You know, you look at the stats, and you'd think on paper, at least, well, the defense wasn't very good in this game either, but I thought they played one of their better games of the season. They were especially good on holding Nebraska on first and second downs. They struggled a bit again on, on stopping the Cornhuskers on third downs. But, you know, you go back to the offense. The offense can't stay on the field at all, so the defense ultimately just got beat up by Nebraska's traditional power football, although done in a hurry-up, no-huddle offensive style. Nebraska ran 83 plays and was on the field for almost 38 minutes, and that's just crazy to have your defense out there that long. But that being said, they, they really did a good job, especially on, you know, another mobile quarterback that they've had problems with all year. Um, Taylor Martinez has a season, a season low 20 rushing yards. You know, he's still the 263 yards through the air. Yeah, but it was really Rex Burkhead who killed him. They just pounded it right at Iowa. He went for 160 yards in a, you know, a Nebraska record 38 carries. Yeah, but you know, the defense at that point just so worn out. You know, the sack coming at him time and time again. They just they ran out of steam there at the end. You brought up Martinez. You watch Martinez in that entire game, and you wonder how Nebraska could possibly win nine games because that kid doesn't look like he could throw a pass if his life defended on it. In fact, half of his passes look like he was shot putting them out there. It is kind of entertaining watching him. You just He throws that up there and you don't really know if it's going to get to a receiver or if it's going to be an interceptor or, you know, where it's going to go. But somehow, you know, he made things happen. So 
it's a credit to him to actually get something done with that, that really ugly throwing. Nebraska media says this game was clearly one of Nebraska's best defensive performances of the season, and it really looked like Iowa wasn't in the game, yet had they recovered that onside kick, you know, it would have certainly got more interesting. Absolutely. It was just amazing how close the game remained, you know, how with how poorly Iowa's offense was playing. It was just a little thing here or there, and it really could have gone, you know, the other direction. That really a very good start to a new rivalry game and trophy game when one of the teams almost fails to show up. This is truly going to become a season-ending rivalry that networks are going to be interested in and the fans are really going to get into. You're going to have to have games that are a lot more competitive than this one. Sure. Um, you know, it was a great atmosphere, just an incredible atmosphere there in Lincoln. You know, I thought maybe some more Iowa fans would have made the trip, but, you know, it is tough the day after Thanksgiving and being gone and everything and maybe disappointing the way that Iowa's played on the road, but absolutely, I think the future, this is going to be a huge rivalry. You know, so many fans right there on the border. You know, hopefully it'll get a little more competitive and, and uh, it'll just become a, a, a very big game. I heard Barta talk after the game about some of the innovative things they were going to try to come up with to make sure that Kinnick was filled next season with the students gone over Thanksgiving break and so forth for that game. You know, one of the things I thought of when I heard those comments from Gary was that you could have a situation next year where there would be a slew of Nebraska fans in Kinnick Stadium on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. I mean, they could buy up a whole bunch of those tickets that might otherwise go unused. They could. Those, those Husker fans really travel. I was in Madison when Nebraska played uh, Wisconsin for their first Big Ten game, and they had they estimated 30,000 Nebraska fans there, and only a very small number of those people had tickets, so I could easily see all those Nebraska fans coming to Iowa City and getting all those tickets and just totally filling Kinnick with red. So, you know, they do have to come up with some way to get those Iowa students to stick around and get some more fans in there. I was just amazed with how many Nebraska students were at that game when they were on break. But somehow they stayed around and they went and they really just created a wonderful atmosphere for that football game. There was a one column in particular in the Omaha newspaper and some other Nebraska media really kind of taking some shots at Kirk Ferentz after this game for his very conservative approach schematically. Um, it really does seem, once again, and we talk about this fairly regularly, that Ferentz typically plays not to lose as opposed to playing to win, especially in some of the bigger games. Yeah, that's, that's just how it seems Kirk is, is made up. I don't know why this surprises people anymore. Yeah, sometimes it is disappointing, and you know, you wish that maybe he would pull something out that might surprise people and, and might give Iowa a chance to, to win some games that maybe they haven't in the past, but that's just how Kirk is, and I think that's how Ken O'Keefe is, and how that entire staff is, is made up. It is very conservative, and you know, when they do things well, it, it works, and they win, but obviously when it doesn't, and, and uh, you know, fans kind of start getting frustrated, then you see the criticism. Any other thoughts? You know, unfortunate way to end the season. You know, it, it started out a pretty decent year. I guess, you know, minus that Iowa State, but that was still a, a pretty good game. But then, you just going on the road. I don't know, you know, what their deal was going on the road. And, and James Vandenberg was, was not as effective on the road. But, you know, but knowing Iowa, knowing Kirk Barron's, he'll have this team, you know, ready to go, whatever bowl they end up going to. I'm fine. I just uh, threw up in my mouth a little bit. Yeah, you know, in some cultures, they only eat vomit. I've never been there, but I read about it in a book. <laughs> An impressive win by Nebraska. A very impressive defensive performance as well, as the top weapons for Iowa were shut down, and the first ever Heroes Trophy presentation will go to the Cornhuskers in what will now be referred to as the Heroes game played between these two teams. Again, our final, Nebraska over Iowa, 20-7. to
In a quick initial preview of the Insight Bowl, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz and athletic director Gary Barta met with the press. First, Ferentz talks about Oklahoma as the Hawkeyes' opponent. We're all very, very excited about it. We had just an outstanding experience last year down in uh, Arizona, and the committee, the people involved, couldn't have been more hospitable and just uh, tremendous. So uh, that part was outstanding. You know, we're looking forward to returning there for, for obvious reasons. And uh, very much like last year, we have a, a you know a very tough draw, great challenge on our hands. Uh, we're playing another great team from the Big 12 Conference. And like last year, this team's uh, very, very talented. Uh, like last year, they've got an outstanding quarterback, most, uh, I would assume, a first-rounder for sure. And uh, they've got tremendous coaching staff. You know, Bob Stoops is a guy known for a long time and have uh, tremendous respect for him on all levels. A tremendous person. I was an outstanding player here and uh, just does a great, great job. Uh, he and his coaching staff, and they've got a couple Hawkeyes on the staff too, so happy uh, especially for our seniors. You know, they've been part of 35 wins over the last four years, three bull vi- vi- victories, and to get a fourth one's going to be quite a challenge. Ference was asked how preparing and playing in the postseason is different from the regular season. I think uh, handling the month, it's uh, just, as I kind of alluded to there, it's a really different challenge. Certainly you have a long break, not as long as we used to, but a long break from your last game till the bull game and handling this month's a challenge you know because a lot of players all the players have a lot of things on their minds a lot of things to juggle so you know hopefully we've got a good formula we'll see how that works out but uh, it, it really requires the players being focused and our guys have done a good job of that in the past. Ference talks about Oklahoma head coach and former Hawkeye Bob Stoops. Yeah, Bob, Bob's still a Hawkeye, and it's, that's one of the neat things uh, about this profession, I think, uh, and I think one of the neat things about our program, the, the guys that have come through here feel a real special bond towards the school, and, you know, Bob's uh, Bob's a good friend that way, and he's a good friend of the programs. You know, he's always been a great supporter, you know, so it's a nice, nice touch, at least, and it's kind of extra, extra interest to the whole thing. And Gary Barta talks about playing in the Insight Bowl in back-to-back years. You know, I, I think over the years what I've learned is what bowls want is a, a matchup that's going to draw a good crowd and is going to uh, do well in television ratings. And so one of the things that I wanted to make sure that uh, any bowl, including the Insight Bowl, and in this case the fact that we were coming back, our fans had not been uh, we had not been in, a, in, in their bowl uh, prior to last year at all. And so it's not something that, you know, even though we're repeating one time, it isn't as though we've been there every year. I know the fans that uh, went last year had a, had a great experience. The television rating was very strong, and uh, so I just reminded them that. And, and Kirk mentioned earlier our seniors have had the opportunity to win three straight bowl games, and uh, we talked about the fact that there's only four, four teams in the country that have, that have been able to win three straight bowl games. So when you added up those things, and then you know from their perspective, again, they want uh, a television draw, and they have great respect for, for Kirk and his resume, certainly. When you look at uh, Coach Stoops and his resume, the combination of the two, the two programs with their strong history, uh, I can I can see where, from our perspective, and certainly understand from the perspective of Oklahoma, it was a it made a lot of sense, even though we were going back a second year in a row. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. Also, check out the game photos and video highlights of Iowa games, other Big Ten action, and teams across the country. Just click on the video tab. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts 
podcast through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeye's Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette and the Hawkeye. And listen to Brent Balbinot on Hawkeye's Mike and on the Balbinot and Brummel Camp Show, weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM AM 1600, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com. And broadcast school has really paid off. Hawkeye's Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to ABC for the game highlights this week. And as always, special thanks to Marv Cook, Susan Dink, and Sean Patchett. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.